Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're indulging our inner superfan. It's Celebrity Toaster Week. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. We're joined today by Randall Kessler. He's represented some of the highest profile clients in the country, including judges, national and local politicians, professional athletes, TV stars, and other celebrities, entertainers, and artists. He joins us today to talk about celebrity divorce and how representing celebrity compares to divorces of the unknown. Randall Kessler. Welcome to the toaster. Thank you, guys. I can't wait to. Uh, I don't know if I can't wait to do this or to be done with it. <laughs> you guys, right. I'm a little bit nervous, but you guys are great. Uh, we we can't either. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you've been everywhere uh, in in your role. I want to. I I don't know. I, unless Seth, unless you have the perfect starter question, I would like to start talking a little bit about publicity. Can we do that? We can do that because I have one question and I think Randy's answer is going to be one word and then the podcast would be over. So maybe you should start. Outstanding. All right. Well, then let's talk about publicity. Randy, I my sense is that the 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 big difference between high profile divorces and, you know, Joe, nobody's like me is the public eye. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of skill set you had to develop as an attorney to help you manage media along with managing a divorce? Yeah, and, I, and if you don't mind, Pete, I want to focus on the first part of your question, which is the one big differentiator, because you're right. People ask me, what is the difference between celebrity divorce and divorce? And really, it's divorce. It's sort of the same question I used to get when they allowed same-sex marriage all across the country. So, yeah. so what's the difference? What is same-sex divorce? And I said, you know what it's called? It's now called divorce. Same thing. So celebrities, they use the same rules. They use the same proceedings, um, but like you asked me, what, you know, publicity. So we were talking before we started uh, this podcast about the private courtroom we built in our office. Um, privacy is paramount to a lot of people that are celebrities, and the issue of publicity comes up in a hundred different ways. Number one, is there value to the publicity? Number two, is there value to not having publicity? Number three, what do their public relations experts want? And most of them always want the the athlete or the high profile star to be in the public eye and this is the one time where they don't want them in the public eye and sometimes we wrestle with those publicists or those public uh people that that say you know we want to keep their name out there and we say not here you know and a good example of this some friends of mine represented uh katie holmes against tom cruise and they would not share with me in a million years any of the details but what i know is the settlement value to tom cruise had to outweigh whatever he agreed to give his wife. In other words, any bad press that comes out of a divorce for big shots might end up costing them more in their career than it does in their marriage. You know, if he doesn't get another movie contract, for example, because something bad came out. And again, I don't know anything bad about Mr. Cruz, but for example, that case settled. Most cases settle. So, you know, and publicity rears its head in a hundred other ways. And I could talk for hours about what do you do when you get calls and how do you handle the press? But the answer to your question, Pete, is it's a skill I just developed over time. How do you handle the press? How do you deal with the press? How do you deal with your client's desire not to be in the press? Or sometimes the significant other 
wants to be in the press and we have to say, you'll get one shot. But the celebrity will get to talk to the press all they want. So their story will be out there much more than yours. Be very, very careful and strategic about ever going to the press. So there's a lot there, Pete, but I hope that, that starts to touch the tip of the eye. Well, iceberg. it does. It, it does because, and I love the way you talk about it. Like the, the, the big difference is it's divorce, but it, in my head, it's, it's divorce with potentially, you know, more places in front of the decimal, right? Like it's just divorce with lots of, of zeros. True. True. But, but you know what, Pete? A lot of our people, a lot of the folks who represent are super wealthy. You've never heard of them. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That I've met people that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You and I would never know. They kept it quiet. They stayed under the radar. They're not on social media. Um, it's incredible to me. And and many of the celebrities that you would think are super wealthy, really, it's a show. And people like people that are rich. You want to believe that your favorite star hasn't lost all their money and knows how to handle their money. But a lot of them are not as wealthy. So sometimes the world's upside down. But, uh, but that is the perception. You're right. Celebrities, you think about, oh, that's a high dollar case. And sometimes... High profile doesn't equal high dollars. And I would add to that, Randy, and I'm sure you've had the same experience where I've had a potential client make a appointment, come in in jeans and a t-shirt worth extraordinary amount of money. Then you have three hours later, the guy that comes in in fancy, very expensive Italian suits with his initials on his shirt sleeve and brings out a checkbook that has a Louis Vuitton cover on it. And then you look at his financials and he has an extraordinary amount of debt. It's, you know what? There are, I could give you a hundred stories. I know you probably like some, so I'll give you one or two, but we represented a very famous hip hop guy and a producer and he, he made a lot of money. We were at mediation until 10 o'clock at night. I said, look, I just bought steak and sushi for the room, for the other side, your, your spouse and everyone in their room wanted this food. So what can I get you? He said, double stuffed pizza, uh, p- cheese pizza crust from uh, Pizza Hut. I said, come on, I'm buying. He said, stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. That's my thing. You know, could have afforded anything. Very happy with that. But, and another guy who founded some of the biggest companies in the world I had not heard of came in, met with me for 20 minutes, wrote me a check for $20,000. I didn't know who he was. He, he found me on the internet. I would not have presumed that he was as wealthy as he was, as he was. But, um, you're right. First impressions and, don't judge a book by its cover. The reasons those cliches stick around. That's fascinating because I, you know, as much as we're talking about about money and the the value of identity in the divorce process, we're also we have to be talking a little bit about the value of celebrity sort of authority, for lack of a better word, power in the divorce process. Um, you know, how do high profile clients? manage, or I should say, how do you manage them in the process of giving up control and power uh, in the divorce process, it's a, it's I, I a guess, tough in one. the guise of objectivity? Yeah, no, no, it's a tough one, because the world is on its head. And it's not just celebrities. Yeah, You think of the typical, if you want to be stereotypical and, and politically incorrect, the wage-earning rich husband and the wife, who doesn't do anything to earn money, but she's raised the children and done a lot for the family. That guy has always been in charge in a divorce it's even. The playing field is even. And it's very difficult for those people that are used to being in charge and used to saying, I want this, make it happen. And they're used to telling lawyers what to do. They're used to telling their accountants what to do. And they have a lot of people that will say, yes, it's hard. My job is to say no. My job is to say, you can't do that because you do not want to be in front of a judge who will tell your spouse or your significant other that guess what? They are even in this discussion. 
they can get you to pay their whatever it is. Let's say the guy wants to give his wife, pay his wife $10,000 a month and go to court. And the judge says, sir, you're going to pay your wife $5,000 a month. Just hearing that all of a sudden changes the dynamic. And the wife now says, I'm not afraid of court. I'm not afraid of my husband. There's somebody there that's not on his side, even if she gets less than what she wanted. So that that's hard to prep you know, celebrity clients for the idea that you're going to have a judge that makes a lot less than you do, that sees a lot of people a lot poorer than you, and is not going to be really sympathetic to you at all, and might try to help the victim, the person who needs the court's help, because you're going to be just fine, ma'am or sir. So it, it's, it is a hard uh, psychological issue. Along with that psychological issue, and Pete, we've talked about this before, and, and Randy, yeah. I, I, I would question you on whether you kind of share this with your clients. I frequently will tell them, you don't get your day in court. I I get your day in court. <laughs> and, and you are actually treated like a child. You sit there and you speak when spoken to, and it's usually just a question that you're supposed to answer. And that is very humbling for people. If you want to talk about giving up control, walk into a courtroom when you're the client. Yeah. You know, I, I have a PowerPoint. Sometimes I pull it out and show them and I say, you know, here's one picture. I said, or I do it like this. Think of your craziest, most irrational friend or acquaintance person you knew growing up in high school. And then think of your, your best friend that's rational and sane, you know, and you know which one you'd like to resolve the differences between you and your partner. But which one do you think is going to show up in court? Because you have no idea, right? It's a crapshoot. You can walk into court and you don't know who the judge is. You know, and sometimes I say, have you ever voted? Yes. Don't tell me who, but I know you can remember who you voted for for president, maybe for governor, maybe for mayor. Do you remember who you voted for for judge if your state has elections for judges? They have no clue. You know, you don't know who the judge is until it's too late. Yeah, I agree with you, sir. Huh. Yeah. And the other thing is... And, you know, I'm sure once again, you've been there, Randy, but I have been totally prepared to try a case and I prepare the same way I always prepare, but it's always good to know your judge. And then you walk into court and a different (laughs) judge walks in right? because the judge that is sitting in that division got moved to a different division. Children's were really sick. They got a senior judge to come in and cover. And you've prepped this whole case thinking, oh, I know how this judge thinks. I've tried this issue in front of this judge 15 times. And then you've got somebody it, new. Amen. That, and it's, you know, again, we were talking earlier. That's why we've done a lot of private judging. We actually built this private courtroom in our office so you can have at least peace of mind that you know it's somebody reliable. And also, if you get a private judging, um, and again, people have to be able to afford it, but if you can afford a private judge, that judge is not going to say, hurry up, i got another case. If they're getting paid a few hundred dollars an hour, they'll actually listen. But you know, Seth, Pete, when you're in court, judges have 10 or 15 cases waiting, whether it's that day or the next day. And you say, judge, we can't finish today. We need to finish tomorrow. And the judge says, well, I've got another case tomorrow and another one the next day. If you want to reset it or continue it, come back two months from now. So there are all those issues. And trying to tell a celebrity or a famous person that the judge is more important than everybody else. You know, it's a hard concept to grasp until they've been there. And of course, then it's too late. And Pete, I love the look on your face because Randy, you might not know this, but Pete's a huge movie buff. So he thinks all cases get resolved in an hour and a half. Wouldn't it it be nice (laughs) if we could have, you know, screenwriters do our our closings and our openings. And then you watch those shows. I'm old. L.A. Law. You say, God, I want one of those writers to, to script my final closing remarks and get it down to 30 seconds. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, to to this day, when I'm in the courtroom and and I make my key point in my head, I still hear dun dun dun. You know, <laughs> so. we, have, we have jury trials in Georgia, and I did one. And I remember a guy wanted alimony, and he made one hundred fifty thousand a year. And I remember thinking of Alan McBeal as I said to the jury, I was nodding my head. He wants alimony, ladies and gentlemen. He makes one hundred fifty thousand a year. That's a lot of money. And I was nodding my head, and they were nodding with me. I thought, man, if that was on TV, that was perfect. You know. <laughs> That is amazing. I just can't. I like. I can't. A. I'm a huge, huge uh, movie buff and celebrity nerd. And uh, also, I can't imagine putting myself in the position of somebody like Tom Cruise going and sitting in, like, as, as, you know, being to be treated like a child. When all I really want to do as Tom Cruise is stand up and scream, "I want the truth," because I've been in that courtroom and I had to wear the bars on my shoulder to get it done. That, like, it must be enormously humbling to go through this process as a celebrity those lessons just those deep interpersonal lessons have to be staggering they they can't handle the truth right right right. exactly so well especially to come to terms with what you've done in the marriage that is litigated in the divorce process or to understand the law the fact whether you're a celebrity or not you know someone works their whole life and they build an income and an asset and they've got to divide that down the middle People don't understand that. And especially, you know, through these athletes, we had a jury trial. This athlete made $5 million during the marriage. Now we all know during the marriage, what you earn is supposed to be divided pretty much evenly in most states. But in his case, I had to make this argument and thank goodness we were successful that he earned it during the marriage, but he's different. He's not going to keep making a few million dollars a year the rest of his life. That $5 million has to last him from age 29 to age 79 or until he gets to retirement. Um, but you know, he walks into court treated like everyone else, and their impression for the judge or the jury is, you earned that during the marriage. I had to split fifty fifty with my wife. Why aren't you splitting it fifty fifty with yours? And, you know, that's that's a tough uh, tough dynamic, even for non celebrities, but especially those who are used to saying, you know what, I want this, make it happen. Are there are there courtrooms that are more or less sympathetic to celebrity cases? I mean, is do they do they are they sympathetic to those kinds of arguments? Does that exist? Yeah, if you go to Beverly Hills, right? You go to the courts yeah. in Beverly Hills. They've seen their fair share, but um, even then, you know, judges are human beings, and they, you know, yeah. people that want to be treated special have a hard time in front of judges, as uh, as you all know. Um, it's very very hard to walk in and have an entitlement complex. I think it it doesn't really matter which court it is. I think it's up to the advocate. It's my job as a lawyer to say, judge. Yes, this guy has $4 million left. He's a 32-year-old athlete. And I'm sorry, sir, but I'm going to tell the judge the truth. I don't think he's going to play next year. I don't think he's going to get picked up again. And even if he does, four more years, $4 million is not going to last him the rest of his life. Don't give her half of that because she's got more of an earning capacity in the future than he does. But it's how you argue it and how you present it, I think, more than to the judges. And I think along with that, Randy, is... How is the judge perceiving your client through you telling the story through questions and answers? Because that's what happens in a courtroom. And that entitlement mantra, if that if that seeps out, you minds will just hang it up right there. Because and this will happen if if and just to not to be stereotypical, but for way of the concept and the example, if you have a stay at home mom who got married at 30 and is now 40 and has been out of the workforce for eight years and is saying that, well, I want to keep raising my kids. And they're sitting in front of a female judge with small children who's working every day 
And now you're asking for this big sum of money, kind of saying, yeah, I could work a little bit, you know, but I don't really want to. Or, you know, in in this is not Beverly Hills in where I practice, they call it the South Tampa lifestyle. And that is just a phrase that says, look at me. I don't have to work. I'm seeing be seen and I'm driving the fancy cars and eating lunch at the nice restaurants for an hour and a half. And that's a problem. Let's let the public in on a little secret. So family law. And most civil law really boils down to, in its simplest forms, two issues. One is we have to get the judge or the jury to like our client. And then we have to tell the judge or jury what we'd like them to do for our client. But it really is as simple as that. You want to help people you like. So if the judge likes you, sir, as my client or ma'am, then the judge will listen to what we're suggesting because they will think we are the reasonable people. We are offering solutions. We are likable. And they'll start to ignore the other side. That's 90% of it. And sometimes, try as we might, we can't make our clients likable. Sometimes people just can't control themselves, what they're going through. The divorce is so tough on them. They they get an eye from the other side and they can't contain themselves. But uh, you're right, Seth. It's, if the judge doesn't like your side or is not sympathetic to your side, you can have the best lawyer, the best law, the best facts. You know, you're probably dead in the water. And that starts at the very beginning. Because I've come on to cases and they the client says, well, this is what happened in court and this is the temporary order the judge gave. And I said, we've got a problem. This judge does not like you. That first impression was not good. And now I have to turn that around. That's going to be difficult. But but the flip side, that, you know, back to, um, I agree with that, back to celebrities and publicity, most of these folks that, that we don't represent all celebrities, maybe 20 to 25%. We've got 15 lawyers. So we obviously represent a lot of people that are not famous, but the famous ones, especially the athletes um, and, and the, the recording artists. I don't want to say this in a bad way, you know, that they're trainable, but they're coachable. You know, they take advice from experts. They are used to being better when they listen to people that have been doing this before. And so, you know, a lot of athletes will come in and say, I want custody. I've got money. I'll pay you to get me custody. I hear you're good at it. I say, that's, that's not how it works. If you're serious about it and you're in it for the long haul and years, not months or, or weeks, um, and some of them do, and they say, what do I need to do? I say, be the best parent you can be and let it show. And guess what? Half the time the case is resolved because the other side realizes that they're a good parent and they share the children. Or the other time, the other half the time they go to court and the history, which we get to build in family law is that they've been a good dad. You know, when you represent somebody in a car wreck case, Seth, or whatever, um, one-time issue, the facts are established. Whatever happened that day, the murder happened. But in family law, we can say, judge, yeah, they filed for divorce two years ago. But since then, let me show you what kind of parent my client's been. So we actually can have a really huge effect on our clients and on the outcome. And it doesn't feel dirty to me because all I'm doing is saying, be a good parent, be a nice person, cooperate. And maybe some of it sticks, even if they're doing it strategically, um, and if it doesn't stick, then then things will change anyway. The judge will see through it. By gum, they might actually realize it's fun being a good yeah. dad. And, and then it gets, and the other side starts to react differently, and all of a sudden, Pete, they don't need lawyers. how would you know that? <laughs> Wait a minute, Pete, how would you know that? <laughs> I don't know, man. My kid's in the trunk of my car. Um, <laughs> you guys are funny. <laughs> 
I that was the uh, that was actually one of the big questions we wanted to ask you is just how how much does the celebrity the the fact that you're dealing with celebrities impact you know figuring out the kids is there any sort of sympathy to the celebrity non celebrity kind of power dynamic but it it sounds like you know they tend to be pretty amenable yeah you know and and one other factor is are they both celebrities and often. Yeah. They both think they're celebrities. You know, sometimes the spouse thinks that they are as famous or they are an aspiring famous person. And that's, a, that's an issue. But sometimes, and this sounds terrible, sometimes it's a battle of who has the better nanny, who's better at managing the children when they're not with the nannies. It's a different dynamic, but you, you'll see. I mean, a lot of the celebrities that we've represented and, and some that we've opposed have been tremendous parents and have said, you know, my career will be put on hold. I will do whatever it takes. Um, and sometimes I have the difficult side. I have the, the spouse that's not famous that says, well, I'm going to win custody because he or she's off touring. So, well, really? You know, you're still trying to run businesses and do things. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting when you see who puts their money where their mouth is. If you're interested in custody, you do what's good for your kids and your career come second. And if you're famous, you can get back to being famous. You can't get back to having your kid be five years old again. That's right. And, and I always, when I'm trying cases on whether it's, um, because I've represented some athletes. Um, I haven't had anyone in the music industry, but uh, I always tell people whether they're an athlete or whether they're, uh, like Pete said, just a you know, run-of-the-mill kind of guy, you want to know what is important to somebody. You look at two things, where they spend their money and where they spend their time. True. And uh, look, I know you're in Tampa, so you know when, um, when Tom or Giselle comes in, just uh, send the other one to me and we'll have fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the good thing about this, Pete. The divorce lawyers, there's two sides to the transaction. Yeah. It's not like the state has the prosecution locked up. They're yeah, always right. going to be trying that case, but, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what else is interesting, I think? And I, don't know if, I hope you find it interesting since I'm on your show. But with family law attorneys, we really have to get along because, like Seth just said, if I'm a defense lawyer, the prosecution's always trying to punish my guy or my woman. You know, there's there, you get polarized. Insurance defense people think everyone's claiming fake injuries. But in family law, I represent the cheating SOB one day, and Seth's got the nice victim wife that, that is innocent. And the next day, they'll be representing the cheating spouse, and I've got the person who's been cheated on. So neither one of us can be holier than now and say, you always represent this kind of person. We have to, and we understand the position the other side then, so we communicate a little better, I think, than a lot of other types of lawyers or other practices. What's even worse about that, Pete, and this has happened to me, the same day, the same judge, one case in the morning, one case in the afternoon, I argued both sides of the argument. (laughs) And, And on the second one, the judge said, please approach the bench. Uh Uh-oh. And... We came up to the bench and there was the court. They said, it's okay to be off the record. And the other lawyer said, fine. So they stopped the court reporter and the judge said, I believed you this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I told the judge, I don't build them. I just fly them, you know, but (laughs) well, judge, you know, but judge, you got to be balanced. If you went one way this morning, you should should try to have an even record. Exactly. It is true. So I I do have a question about the publicity because we started with that. And this is a good one about staying out of the media because I'm involved in a case now and we got calls from the media and we just didn't return. them. And I joked with my child that, oh, you know, because he gets a big kick out of it. I said, 
I was in the New York Post today, and he went to look up the article. I'm like, you're not going to find my name. I'm just the lawyer that represents because I never yeah. even called back. <laughs> you know? Yep. It's um. So the first step is how do you keep them out when they're really, really famous? We had recently a gigantic star, and the the debate is. If you file a motion to seal or you request confidentiality, then the antenna go up in the clerk's office and they look at it even even tougher. And some of the celebrities, especially hip hop folks, have names that most people don't know. You know, when we were people we know that whose names start with T or Young or or, or whatever, or Big, that's not their real name. So, you know, so we always debate if they're going to find it. But I agree, not responding. And sometimes it's hard not to respond. But if we're going to respond, we try to always get a joint statement. We ask the other side if it's for the privacy of the children. I don't like the words no comment, right? It sounds guilty. No comment is what you say if you did something wrong. Right. So we say for the sake of the family, can you keep it private if we have to say something? But you know, the good lawyers, people know that you're the lawyer. They find out you're the lawyer. You don't need to go out there and say, look at me, I'm the lawyer for this client. We try very hard if we're going to say anything, that it's one thing, or we write something for them to say. Um, and that's where we get into with the PR people because they always want to make their side look good, which is we know it's going to cause a reaction from the other side, right? No matter what you say, mm-hmm. unless you compliment the that's other right. side. And I don't know if you feel this way, Seth, when you are in court, but I tell every client that's got a custody dispute, you know who comes out better? The parent who says the most nice things about the other side. As much as you don't like them, if, if a judge hears that you're willing to compliment the other parent, the judge is going to be comfortable with the children spending time with you, maybe even being fully with you. Because they know you're going to encourage and foster the love for the other parent, as opposed to the other person who's angry as hell, even if he or she deserves to be angry as hell, because they can't keep that out of their mouths and they can't keep it away from the children. So um, keeping it neutral and staying out of the press, or if it's going to be in the press, a one-liner, um, that's the tough one. And then, of course, they've got people in their ear that say, you can't let the other side talk about you. You've got to react. You've got to respond. And, and we're trying to say, what's more important? How you perceive yourself or how the judge perceives you. And um, it's a hard conversation. I, I just imagine there is a whole unique set of of tools that you're dealing with when it comes to especially these high profile cases when you're talking about, you know, dealing with agents and assistants and publicists and all of these other people that you just don't have to to navigate uh, the the stereotype says that you're using you know if I'm if you're in a movie I'm watching you use the media as another tool as of leverage uh, in in working with their team uh, it, it doesn't sound like that's uh, the reality at all there are actually ethical rules against that you are not allowed under the ABA model rules and most state bar rules that do not allow you to use the media to try to influence the trier of fact that means the judge or the jury if you try to say something publicly to taint the jury or the judge, that's unethical. It may not be illegal, but the bar may have an issue with it. Um, but, but along those lines, we do things differently. And sometimes, you know, we draft a petition for divorce that says the marriage is broken. They're going to try to work it out. If you can't work it out, judge, you're going to have to decide custody. Well, sometimes when we know the media might get a hold of it, we are so flowery with our language. You know, these parties expect fully that they're going to resolve it. They've been able to resolve things for the, you know, and we go on and on it where you know, facious, is that the word where you go overboard about how good the other side is? Because I don't want to hear the client call me and say, you made it public that I hate him or her, that I think, you know, this marriage, you know, ended. So you got to think about how you write things, not because the judge is going to see it, but how the, the press, you know what they do? They take one line out of your, you know, you, you, you pray, we pray for relief. We say the prayers for relief. Well, sometimes they're going to get that wrong saying, 
she's praying for custody. So we say in that case, maybe they're claiming or they would, they would assert a right to it because you're worried how the press is going to misread and misinterpret. I always laugh whenever there is a Florida case and it hits the press. The one soundbite is they cite irreconcilable differences, right? That's the soundbite. It's in every single, uh, Oppress, and here's why that's the soundbite. Because under Florida law, Pete, you know what we're about to say. Check your local jurisdiction. <laughs> exactly. You're required to plead that there's irreconcilable differences to get a divorce. So when they say that, I always think to myself, and that's in every divorce petition that's ever been filed in the great state of Florida. <laughs> so what did you have though, Randy? Uh, I got asked recently. Um you know, I represented Nick Gordon in a civil matter. He's the one who was Bobby Christina's boyfriend and, you know, Whitney Houston's daughter. And I did not do his criminal defense. Um, but some, someone asked me and he's, he passed away. Um, and he never was charged with the murder, but Bobby Brown, Whitney's ex-husband apparently was, uh, doing the interview saying that he believes Nick Gordon caused it, did this and that. They asked me for my comments. I said, I'm not really going to give a comment. They said, will you say anything? And I thought I owed it to him because I, I, bond with him and I saw him troubled and how hurt he was and he was devastated when, when Bobby died. So I said she was his world. All I know is that he loved her. And the story was Nick Gordon's lawyer defends him and says that he's not responsible. Nick Gordon's lawyer stands up to Bobby Brown. I didn't stand up to anybody. I just said all I could see from what I saw is that he he, he loved her and that was his whole world. That was I think it was a two sentence. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I thought it's what he would have wanted me to say and he, he's gone and I thought it was the right thing to do. But it was interesting. It taught me a lesson that my step, my step grandfather was a furrier in New Orleans and he used to say, measure twice, cut once. You know, so it's a good saying that I better remember. Measure a few times. Remember, whenever you're talking to the press, you control what you say. You don't control what they hear and you don't control what they print. But, but on the, that's true. But if you know the press and I'm lucky enough, I'm across the street from CNN. So I've done a lot with CNN. Once you get to know them, they're pretty trustworthy. The, the credible sources, you know, you can talk off the record and say, look, tell me what the article's about. You know, the ones that are trying to do the gotcha moment, and I don't want to name names, you know who they are. Um, but they're credible news organizations. You can sort of talk to them and say, tell me more what it's about, and I'll decide whether I want to do it. And I, you know, we did a whole story. Um, it's publicly represented Reverend Warnock's uh, wife before he became senator. And we got so many calls and we didn't talk to anybody. And we would talk to them and we'd say, no, that's really, she doesn't want to be public like that. We, but we would at least listen. Um, and so, you know, do you even talk to the press? You know, I'm, I'm okay sometimes taking a call if it's an organization that I trust, as long as I know we're not talking yet. Because sometimes it helps my client. I want them to know, here's what the story is. Here's what they want to talk about. Just so you know, I don't think you should talk about it. But FYI. FYI. And that's a good point, because ultimately, it's the client's decision. Right. We talk, uh, I don't imagine that, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is listening to this podcast. <laughs> and uh, we know nothing. So I know I nothing wonder, about his case and you know, nothing but good things. Yeah, right. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying, in terms of, uh, I, I think that uh, his representation is, is probably taking care of it, and, and maybe he doesn't need this podcast. But what I would, uh, but I, what I do know is that the people who are listening to this podcast are, are people who um, need some guidance and guidelines on how to manage their divorce process, how to get, how to get the right kind of support. And I wonder if you could think for a minute uh, uh, about 
lessons you've learned from dealing with high-profile celebrity cases that you could translate into things that that would help everybody? Yes, and I know you're not. We're not doing this to to promote my book, um, and I don't make money on this book. It's I think nine dollars on Amazon or sixteen dollars if you get it. And I'm, if someone's really desperate and they write me a nice email, I'll probably send it to them free. I don't care. It's, but it's called "Divorce: Protect Yourself, Your Kids, and Your Future." And I started it 25 years ago. Couldn't finish it. Represented a lady who wrote a hundred books, made me finish it. And it's just sort of general ideas. And the, and the point is whether you're a celebrity or not, have common sense. You know, it, it's think about it. Think about how do you resolve disputes between your kids or between friends? You know, who are you upset at? And it's like we talked about earlier. You like the person that's nice and reasonable and it's hard to be nice and reasonable. And God knows this litigation is fraught with emotion. You know, this is not like you're suing a doctor who cut off the wrong leg. And you'll never see this doctor again. You never saw him before or the cab driver that hit you. This is somebody who you married or had a baby with that you're going to know the rest of your life because you're co-parents. And how you resolve the case to me is as important as um, what you get at the end of the case. And, and that's a hard lesson to teach people. Um, and one, one thing I try to do with folks, and this may maybe not be exactly what you asked Pete, but it's sort of a small part. If you're the person on the side with the money, got the money, got the resources, and you settle the case, when it's over, make a gesture. Why not say, I know we just went through this knockdown drag out, but I'd like to give you an extra $5,000 towards your lawyer fees, or I'd like to make the last six payments on your car payment. I tell my clients that, and they are mad as hell when I tell them. They say, why should I do it? I say, well, aside from it being a nice thing to do, six months from now, when you're out of town at Disney World and you say, honey, can I keep the kids an extra night? It's not my time. And she says, what did you ever do for me? Aha. Uh-huh. You never know. Goodwill goes around. And, and whatever you can do, just make a gesture. Do something nice for the person you've done battle with. And, and that joint public statement, if you're a celebrity, goes a long way, especially to the person who is no longer going to be a famous spouse and they're no longer going to get into the same red carpet affairs. It's nice to leave it on a good note. And the famous person can, it, it can change that person's world. The flip side of that is if you are soon to be the ex Mr. or Mrs. of the famous person, be nice because that person can open doors for you. You want contacts, you want to write a book, you want to do, you want to get, um, into a certain community or club or whatever. If you have a famous spouse, be nice to them because there are things they can do for you that other people can't. And they'll do it for you if you're nice to them. I mean, it's just human nature. You want to help your ex if you think they were nice to you. If you think they were mad and bad during the divorce, you're never going to help them. So just celebrity or not. Be nice. As hard as it is, as angry as you are, no matter what they did to you, think about the long term. I couldn't agree more with you. And I've given that exact advice, Randy, when people are, are, let's say you're the spouse that wants to receive alimony. And one of the things I said, be nice. And they'll say, what do you mean? And I said, you're asking this person to give you money for 10 years on a monthly basis. If your goodwill goes a long uh, way. <laughs> and, and I think under the law, you're entitled to it. But as you rightly say, I think how a case gets resolved is as important, if not more, than the ultimate outcome. And I can tell you, we will go to trial on parenting plans and I'll run into that client five years later and they're not using the parenting plan that we went to trial on because they realized it didn't work and the kids are older and things have changed and we moved houses and now we have a step-sibling and everything changes. But be nice and maybe you're going to get something uh, in return. Right, because most cases don't go to trial. So instead of saying, what's the judge going to give me? How about 
what's my ex going to give me? It's people do things because they want to, not because they have to. Like, and you got to make the other side want to, not have to. I'll, I'll show that. I'll show him what a bad guy he was. He's not going to say I'm a bad guy. I'll pay you. He's going to say he's being nice to me. I'm happy to do this. You're exactly right, Seth. I couldn't agree more. I think that's incredibly grounding advice, too, right? That it, this is, uh, file this under, we all put our pants on one leg at a time, but the the, the idea of just being nice, it, you know, that just might get you your first alimony check. It'll also get you the one 10 years down the road. And it's a whole lot easier to say than do. Let's not yeah. Yeah, of course. sugarcoat it, right? Yeah. But and and, it, and you, Seth, you know this. Why are we telling them that? They're paying us to go for blood. They want us to go after everything. I mean, they, they want you know what they want hanging on the wall. They want, you know, some evidence that they, you know, really hurt the other side. And that's what they're paying us for. And here we are saying, you know what? I'm standing up for the other side is what it looks like to them. And I'm not, I'm I'm making sure that they know it's for them, but you know, I'm paying you because I hear that you're going to, you know, beat him or her up. And, uh, and I say, well, that's not me. That's not us, but that's not how we get good results. Um, if, if the other side's a jerk, we'll do what we have to do, but Right. And and I get that question all the time. They'll call and say, I want an aggressive lawyer. And I'll ask them, if you have your choice, an aggressive lawyer or effective lawyer, which one do you want to choose? They always choose effective. Right. And sometimes you have to ask the tough questions. And if you have to hold people accountable by using the court system, but sometimes you can just be nice and you can be professional and you can set a hearing and we have difficult jobs and sometimes lawyers get heated between each other. And I've picked up the phone and said, Hey, look, that conversation with you didn't go as well as it should have. I was having a bad day. I apologize. And that's with the colleague who's on the other side that that's almost better than never having a conflict because then they realize that's why you're great. That's why this podcast is great. I mean, it's really, it's how you say things more than what you say. You know, you can say, you know, I'm going to kill you and rip your head off in a much nicer way. We're going to go to battle and it's going to be an effective decapitation, you know? (laughs) But you can say it in a nice way and people will hear it differently. Um, It it takes two to settle. It takes takes, uh, one to make it go to court. Uh, what do you think of the value of prenups? Uh, We've talked a little bit about uh, the prenuptial agreement. Uh, It is another one of those uh sort of movie tropes that i know of in all the divorce movies how do you how do you use how do you think about uh the prenup well there's prenups and then there's the 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 high profile the you know i'm going to pay you this much if i get caught doing this and that and and we've done those and Mm -hmm. lots of money where i say are you kidding and then they say well the amount of money i make i could stroke a check for this much and go have 10 affairs and it wouldn't bother me so there's all that but when it comes down to it Prenups are a very personal thing. I think there's some good reasons. If you have gone through a tough, ugly, expensive divorce and you want to make sure it doesn't happen again, if you have inherited a lot of property and you want your family to feel very comfortable that the person you're marrying is not in it for their money, um, if, uh, but, but it depends. I, I mean, I tell the world, I, I didn't get married until I was in my forties. I'd accumulated some, some modest wealth. I'd been a lawyer and had not had children yet. I didn't have a prenup. My wife had not been married. I trust her. Um, but I think it's a, it's a case by case. It's, it, but I think it's more important for celebrities because for a couple of reasons. Number one, people want to latch on to celebrities and there are a lot of what we call gold diggers, right? But more importantly, um, for the families of the celebrities to make sure that they know this person is not marrying their son, their nephew, their brother for the money. It shows them 
Um, but the flip side is, and, and Seth's been there, sometimes you come out worse with a prenup than with a prenup. Some people are so vested in getting a document that they agree to pay more to the other side in the end of the divorce than the judge might have made him do. But they like to say, but I got a prenup, so you know she loves me for my for myself, not for my money. So it's it's a unique skill set, right? Because the assumption is they're gonna ha- the assumption in the prenup is gonna have the money they have today or more. Nicholas Nicholas A. and Jessica Simpson, the prenup pretty much said that you know he keeps all his wealth and she keeps all hers, and he was the famous guy when they got divorced. Guess what? She was ten times more famous. So that and that's a hard one for lawyers too. They tell clients will call us and say. You made me guarantee her a million dollars, but now I'm broke and I still have to pay her a million dollars. That it's a hard one. You know, we lawyers are scared. Lawyers are afraid of prenups because so many things can change. Um, but my favorite is just you really want you keep what you had before the marriage. He or she keeps what she had before the marriage, and let's see what happens with the rest of it. Um, that that those are simple ones. Those that's pretty much what, uh, what most state laws would do, even without a prenup. I, I think you've just sort of explained something that was that was news to me. I thought the latter is what the prenup did, but guaranteeing this sort of uh, leveling indicator in terms of wealth going into and out of the marriage was sort of news to me. Why would they would have to pay each other anything? Uh, again, I'm the Joe Nobody on the show. so People will always say that prenup is unfair. And I say, you know what? They're supposed to be unfair. You know, the prenup okay. is to preserve that unfairness. Someone's rich coming in. And you're married for 20 years and they're, they want to leave. Well, you got a 20 year ride in a good lifestyle, but that person doesn't want to give you the money for the rest of their life. And that's why they do a prenup and you took that risk. So they can't be unconscionable. They can't be so crazy that the judge wouldn't enforce it, but it's to preserve that inequity. But generally speaking, in most states, if you have money before the marriage and you keep it separate and you get divorced, that's generally yours. Courts might be able to look at it to determine alimony or child support. Um, so that's the simple prenup that I just want to make sure that the beach house that my family gave, you know, gave me when my grandparents died, that if I ever divorced that that stays in my name. Those make yeah. sense. Protected. Yeah. yeah. So it's Protected not so much is a prenup like fair and is, how do I feel about prenups? It's how do I feel about terrible prenups? I had a, a, a woman who was going to marry a guy 20 years ago. He said, under no circumstances will she ever get more than $100,000. And his family had lots and lots of money. And so we started off, what if they married 10 years? No. What if they married 20 years? Will you get rid of that limit? What if they have kids together? No. What if they have grandkids together? No. It would never, he would never, ever agree to pay her more than $100,000. She didn't marry him. You know, good for her. I, she had the guts to walk away and say, if that's how he feels, because if we're married 50 years and I've been home raising kids and grandkids, $100,000 in 50 years may not be enough to get me by for more than a couple weeks, days, months. And- and here's the cynical joke that I always tell Pete. I'm sure Randy's heard it before because he's heard every divorce oh, joke. Might is, uh, <laughs> uh, it might might be a new one. Maybe I'll get 20 bucks if it's a new one you haven't heard, right? right? The prenup, once you go to get a divorce, that's just the first offer. Because ah. you can challenge the prenup. Yep, you can. And, and you know, Seth makes a good point. If, I, if my clients agreed to give his soon-to-be ex $1 million, when he comes to me for the divorce, I say, let's offer her 1.1, 1.25, because otherwise she's got nothing to lose. She'll go to court. And she'll still get the million, but maybe she gets the prenup thrown out and she gets 10 million. So yes, it, it's sort of an insurance policy against paying me or Seth a lot of money to fight about how to divide the assets. Because when the client comes to me and to Seth, we're both going to tell our respective sides, chances are payment's going to be $1 million. If we can get you a little more, take it. There you go. 
So that's that. That's the takeaway, Pete. Right. If we yeah. can get you a little more, take it. <laughs> <laughs> right? well, I take it. I'm, well, that's me. I'm not a gambling person. Some people say, I don't care. Speaking of gambling, I'll tell you a quick story. We had jury trials in Georgia, and this lady wanted a lot of money, and there was a prenup. And the prenup was very, very generous to her. And I, I begged her to take the prenup. She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. So we called the jury, picked the jurors, and I, I added another lawyer to my team from outside my firm to reconfirm the same advice. Finally, here's what she said. She goes, I'll take the deal. I'll take the prenup. But I want an extra $50,000. I said, you're being greedy. You're going to... She said, I'm the client. Make the offer. I made the offer in the courtroom. The other side came back and said, go flip for it. We flipped a quarter. For fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> and we lost, and she was fine with it. Oh, Randy, I mean, was- you did not hit. The, you did not right before you flipped. You didn't say heads I win, tails I you lose. You know, hit, Come on, Randy. It hit the light fixture, and I said, you know, we should do a duo. But she was actually okay with it. She thought that that was cool, and that he was willing to do it. it was sort of gutsy of him. And- I, I, we've talked about a lot of things that are that are out of the realm of my understanding in the last 45 minutes or so. I feel the most out of touch after the coin toss for $50,000 uh, yeah, story. That's You missed the real question, though, Pete. Yeah. Who who kept the quarter? Uh, yeah. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> they wanted the judge to flip. I said, no, I don't want the judge participating in gambling. <laughs> So yeah, right. I bet you he still got it. You know, the, the, but also celebrities, I'll tell you, if you want another war story too, we had a guy who was a hip hop guy and he's married to a hip hop woman and we were in court and we left for lunch. And, um, and I usually ask the staff to want to bring a sandwich or something. And there was a bailiff that was with us, a sheriff. When we came back, we forgot to get him something to eat. And so my client pulled out a hundred dollar bill and said, here you go. I'm sorry about that. I said, you can't do that. For 10 years, every time I saw that sheriff, he's mad at me. He's like, why'd you say you couldn't do that? I said, you can't pay a court employee money, you know, but you know, it was not. He pulled out like one of those, what they call a stack, right? 10, $100 bills, just killed one off and said, here, I feel bad. Oh my goodness. Well, clearly, in all of these stories, uh, Randy Kessler, you are the rock star. Uh, I I have one more pivot, man. You also have, of all the stuff you're doing, it appears you have a bit of a side hustle going on. You want to talk about Starsona? I would love to for just a minute. So, you know, for years, I've um, represented celebrities, and then I know them, but and I see them on the basketball court, and I get a hug, but that's about it. And I know when we go to court, they come out, of court and people would stop them and they do selfies and i thought you know there should be an app for that so i've been working on this uh app called bliss divorce which is a out-of-court mediation project it's in california right now and all these cool engineers and, and internet people work on the team uh, i said you know what let me drop this idea on you i said i call it the happy birthday app what do you think they loved it we started it, it was starsona it was a couple months after cameo we were an app cameo was a website it evolved to become a storefront for stars, especially stars that don't have managers, to go and create their own website where you can get a direct message, you can get a FaceTime, you can get a, a signed football, all through the app or through the website, starsona.com, so that you don't have to give away this, the cell phone of the star. Um, and then we merged with a company in Europe that's got a presence in India and South Africa and Germany. And so we are now called My Fan Park, myfanpark.com. It's cool. Check it out. You can have Dominic Wilkins wish you happy birthday. You can get Mario West, formerly of the Hawks, to come play basketball with you. If you live in Atlanta, for a hundred bucks, he'll play in your yard. You know, you can do fun stuff. It's just a cool thing. 
<laughs> and I'm making people happy, right? I'm, I'm making the customers, the people that buy them happy, the stars who are former stars now still feel needed. And it's been a really cool experience. And um, now I know how apps and entrepreneurs feel. We should point out that for a nominal, you know, they the 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 athletes, whoever they they choose the price to uh-oh. make all this happen, uh-oh, right? Uh-oh, sir. <laughs> because here's what I'm going to say: for twenty five dollars, I will come and we will record how to split a toaster. Hey, in your Sign living up. room, you're, you're, you're hired. Sign up. Go to myfanparks.com and sign it. I'll tell you the stars do get to pick their price, and for mere thirty five hundred dollars, Kyle Lowry or Demar Derozan. Or uh, anyway, Kawhi Leonard, they'll do a video for you if they have the time. A mere thirty-five hundred dollars. So yes, there are the high end. Of- a mere thirty-five hundred dollars. Yeah. I you, love you it. Should be on my fan park. Absolutely, you guys are great. I'm sure the people out there that would say, "Hey, I want you to wish my kid every birthday. I want you to tell my kid what it's like to not just be a lawyer, but to also be a podcaster and how to venture out of your comfort zone." Do it. Why not? Like, you're you're on my fan park. I'm gonna I'm gonna order you to send me a happy birthday, right. and I just interviewed <laughs> you. I'm so excited about that. I had to be because I have to know how it works to be able to explain to the stars how it works. So I actually gotten a few requests, not many, you know, over the last year or two. I probably got four or five. But um, it's it's a cool little hit of adrenaline when someone says to a star, "Hey, I'm gonna pay you twenty dollars to say happy birthday," because. They come up to him at a basketball game or they come up to him at the grocery store when they see him and they ask him the same thing. But these are people that seek them out and, and, and say, I love you so it's much. Brilliant. I'll pay you to do something for them. Yeah. Great Thanks idea. I about. think it's great. It's wonderful. Randy, uh, you're fantastic. Thanks for spending your time uh, with us today for lending your uh, fantastic insights to uh, to the Toaster audience. We sure appreciate you. Thank you. You guys are great. This uh, this builds my experience. and I, I love doing it. I look forward to meeting you guys in person when this is all over and stuff. If uh, Tampa Bay makes it to the Super Bowl and you decide to come to L.A., you got a beer on me. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, everybody, for downloading to this show. We sure appreciate you, too. On behalf of Randy Kessler and Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.